Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles. Just wanted to give some quick updates on some of our affiliates, things they've got going on for the holiday season. Our friends over at Gear Rack have some Black Friday deals going on. Their Bino 2.0 pre-order for their new Bino pack is coming out for $50. They always have that gear sleeve that I really like for $15, and you can get 10% off of all their Black Friday prices with code CHRONICLES. Bowhunter Box Club has some leftover items going on sale. Any, there's, they've got some things left over from the boxes that uh, they didn't sell or they just ordered too many of that. They've got some great deals on some lighted knocks and some of the seasonings and things like that. And you can use uh, the code Chronicles for 10% off over there as well. And then there's new episodes dropping every week on the Service Side Deer Slayer TV YouTube channel. And you can always get 10% off all the gear over at serviceside.com using the code Chronicles as well. So check out those guys. They support us and do your best to support them if you can. And if you haven't already, please rate this podcast. If you're enjoying what we're doing, it helps us out tremendously. If you can go down and click that five-star review, write a little blurb, tell your friends, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everywhere that uh, social media is. We are as well. So um, go over there and just give us a follow, and that would help us tremendously. And the, if there's anything that you want to hear about on the podcast, anything we've touched on, any of the gear that we're using that you want some more information on, anything like that, shoot us a message, and we'll be more than happy to be out in any way that we can. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the episode. Shut up and sit down. Hey everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And we're here with a special guest tonight, Taylor Chamberlain. He is the Urban Bowman on Instagram. And you can see him in the First Light film in City Limits, uh, whacking and stacking deer in uh, downtown D.C. So how are you doing tonight, Taylor? I'm great. How are you guys? We're doing good. Doing I'm, well. I'm having a hell of a season, a season for the ages. And, and so <laughs> it's. I think the podcast is kind of... I don't know, took me to the next level in, in hunting and I just hope I can I can continue continue that. But it's it's just been a, an epic season for me. So well, what have, what have you got going on? What'd you do? Well, so we're I would say the regular average Michigan bow hunters, you know, regular guys love love bow hunting. And uh, so I'm tagged out right now with, with two bucks on the ground. Um the fifth, I was up at our property in uh, the Upper Peninsula. I shot a small buck up there on the same day that both my brothers killed. Uh, my oh, brother, wow. my brother was in South Dakota, killed a really nice mule deer. And my brother, who doesn't hunt very hard, he's only he killed his second deer with a bow. Um, I missed a nice eight point in the morning, and uh, so then I had to redeem myself in the evening, and I shot a, a, a decent sized six point as far as body size, but the antlers are are small, but it was just the, the memory is, is there. And, uh, it was a, it was a ball, um, came home and took a day off to do stuff around the house, had the rest of the week off and shot a Michigan public land, 10 point, I don't know, maybe 120 inch deer. I don't know, 110. 
Yeah, I haven't seen. Yeah, it, he, but just he was pictures. 180 pounds. I mean, oh, that's awesome. So uh, it was just when it, it, just when it goes well, it's hard to beat. <laughs> yeah, and they. I mean, uh, they both died within 50 yards. So watch them both fall. It was just, it was just awesome. So, so now I'm, it's kind of an odd feeling because well, I'm done hunting. <laughs> well, that today's the last day of archery, early archery here. So tomorrow our gun season opens, but, um, you know, I've, I could have killed some small bucks. I had some three points and I had decent little six point, some does. I just chose not to, you know, fill a tag yet. Plus, my son, he just turned 15 and been, you know, he's, he had last weekend to hunt and the weekend before. So I was trying to get him on some deer. So with that, where we were hunting there, the, it's a restricted, restricted area. So it's three points or better on one side. So knowing that there was like the six point in that area and another smaller buck, smaller, I mean, it was still, I think it was a five point, but a little bit smaller horns, but it was legal to shoot for him. So, but they just never walked past him. He was kind of <laughs> like, yeah, I'll come here. You, they, they all walk by you and you're not shooting them. I'm like, well, that's why they're walking by me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they know they're safe. <laughs> right. and I did have that's... a nice, nice buck come in, you know, probably like same caliber as has maybe eight point. He came in, got down 17 yards and I was like, this thing's dead. He was coming in straight from the West. Wind was out of the North. And all of a sudden, he just stopped and turned right around and just walked right back. Never flagged or blew or nothing. I'm like, man, <laughs> just how it goes. But yeah, sometimes those bigger deer have a uh, a sixth sense about them where For they're sure. able to just they know something's wrong and uh, they can booger out of the area pretty quickly as as quickly as they came in. Yeah, I was actually just showing. Adam, the film of the six point, he come walked in, walked in, stopped right at 20 yards, right broadside in, in my shooting lane, then walked around. He actually was downwind of me and I'm filming him and didn't give, you know, two shits. And the bigger buck, he come in and it might've been like a little bit of a swirl of the wind or something, but mm-hmm. it didn't take, but just a tiny thing for him to not like the situation. And he's like, nope. Turn around, I'm going back where it was safe. So yeah, as soon as they uh, as soon as they know something's wrong, man, they are they're gone, and you won't see them again. Right. It's funny, you know. I was talking to one of my buddies um, in Minnesota, and he was telling me he's like, I mean, we only get one deer tag, and you know, they could maybe get two depending on the area they're hunting in. But I mean, to me, to be tagged out is a weird feeling because <laughs> I mean, I've I've never been tagged out. I mean, I'm. You know, I can kill an unlimited number of antlerless deer. Um, well, I get three buck tags, and you know, I, I have tagged out on buck tags. But I mean, I'm doing herd management, so it's not like I'm buck hunting right. to where when the three bucks are gone, I'm like, oh well, looks like I'm bird hunting now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I'll just stay in the tree and keep whacking them because. I mean, they're just so overpopulated here. We got to do everything we can to, to, you know, thin them back. Yeah, and killing bucks that really doesn't help with herd management. You got to get rid of the yeah. does. Right. I mean, you kill you kill a buck, you kill one buck, you kill a doe, you've killed the whole right. birthing cycle that she could, you know, continue birthing. So, so for anybody who hasn't, you know, been following along with your story or know, uh, you know, kind of what you are and you know what 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 you do. I mean, you what you are is a a deer killing machine essentially <laughs> um kind of give us a little bit of background on on how your season is is unlimited yeah so uh, i live right outside of washington dc i um am fortunate that i get to bow hunt year round for white-tailed deer so uh here in northern virginia we have an incredible overabundance of white-tails um they're so overpopulated we can't even figure out how overpopulated they are uh, when they try to do the thermal imaging surveys of, of areas, it just all looks hot red, you know, or, or hot, hot white. So um, kind of think of it as like kicking an anthill and watching all the ants run out. That's what an aerial uh, thermal imaging of our parks look like. So our, 
our average carrying capacity here should be in the 12 to 15 deer per square mile. They think that we're around 400 to 450 deer per square mile. Holy. So what they do is, um, you know, we have tons of private residences, and not a lot of people that hunt. And so uh, if you are a hunter, it affords you plenty of opportunities to go in and, and bow hunt whitetails. So our, our season runs from the first weekend in September through the end of April, I believe. They keep changing on me. Um, might have gotten pushed into May this year. I have to check. But as soon as that season ends, that's antlerless deer. Uh, we can shoot antler deer from the first weekend in October until the first weekend in January. Um, obviously, you can shoot antlerless the entire time. And then when the season ends, technically, um, the Department of Game will issue what's called a kill permit or a crop damage permit, basically, because of all the damage that the deer do to the homeowner's landscaping and all their their ornamental shrubs, et cetera. Um, and so we're able to hunt, you know, I'm able to hunt, uh, outside of the season on that kill permit. So there's really no downtime, um, between hunts at all. I mean, you can get some, some properties will have a little lag between when the season ends and when the, the state issues a kill permit. But I mean, you're talking a couple of days, um, not anything longer. So it's pretty cool to be able to, to hunt year round like that. Although I think my wife would disagree. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see. My wife's upset just after like a few weekends in a row. And then <laughs> that's all relative, you know, <laughs> I, uh, when my wife and I first started dating, I told her, I said, you know, um, you got to know that I'm like a, a fanatical whitetail hunter. And she was like, yeah, whatever. You know, she grew up in Annapolis. She had no idea what that meant. And, uh, I said, no, like I, I hunt a lot. And, um, I mean, probably then I was hunting like 125, 150 days a year. Um, then once we started dating and we actually moved out to Great Falls when we got married, uh, which is just outside of, of D.C. a little further, about 10 minutes. And that's where our, the bulk of my hunting properties were. Um, I started hunting between 220, 250 days a year. So as long as there wasn't like a total monsoon or – like really gnarly weather blowing through, I was in a tree. Um, so that's sorry for her, but <laughs> that's crazy. Well, I think where the, where the issue was is I don't know if it was on another podcast or maybe in that film when you said how many sets of sticks that you had and had out, I was yeah. just like adding up the total of that. I mean, how many, how many sets do you have? Oh, I just sold a whole ton. I have, I had a garage full of hunting stuff. Uh, I, I have probably around a thousand trees I could go climb like right now within a 10 to 15 minute drive of my house, um, including traffic. So everything is, is buffered in with traffic, which is you guys can imagine is pretty gnarly here, uh, outside the city. But, um, I, I use a lot more mobile sticks now than actually preset locations. Uh, the deer, I find that, that after you kill two or three of them, they just know that, that one tree is dangerous. And so what I'll do is, I mean, I'll just hunt trees that are five yards apart, uh, 10 yards apart, but I just keep them guessing based on, on where the trouble is. Because I mean, the area that I'm hunting, some of the parcels I'm hunting are as small as a quarter acre, a uh, half acre. So I mean, there are a couple of properties that only have two trees you could hunt from and, you know, maybe a tree fort or something. But um, <laughs> surprisingly shooting them out of a tree fort, they do not associate that with danger just because it's been there for so long and it doesn't change. Um, but you know, when you're shooting them out of the trees, they, they catch on to it. So to answer your question, I do have a ton of preset locations still. Um, but I try to be as mobile as possible with, uh, you know, with a set of wild edge steps or some lone wolf sticks, something like that. So I, I think everybody, at least around here in these urban areas, we see, big bucks. I mean, my brother just sent me a, a picture of a beautiful 10 or 12 point, I mean, 150 inch deer mounted on a doe on some landscaping right, <laughs> right here in, in our town. But the ordinances are such where you can't shoot a bow inside of the city limits, et cetera, et cetera. Is it 
just a, an oversight out there where it wasn't written in or have you had to go around any sort of legality like that? Yeah. So, um, it varies by the County here in the state of Virginia. So the County or, you know, like you're talking, your local, uh, jurisdictions will have different firearm ordinances that dictate what you can hunt with. Um, some of the counties around here do not allow a bow to be discharged. Luckily, uh, Fairfax County, Loudoun County, Prince William County, uh, you know, all the most of the counties in Northern Virginia have removed archery tackle from that because the deer are so overpopulated, and they know that that they need hunters to go in and start thinning out the deer herd. And you talked about it a little bit, uh, you know, before the podcast a little bit and at the, at the beginning, maybe when you're talking about how you hunt. So you, you said you, you get three buck tags and then in numerous or unlimited, um, doe tags. Are you being selective with your buck tags or, I mean, if you get a homeowner that says, you know, I've got these deer coming in and this buck is scraping up my landscaping and it's you know rubbing up my deck um and you go over there and it's a small fork horn or something like that do you let them walk and say sorry that's not what i'm into or no you know? i so i i try to keep all my clients uh happy or the homeowners that i'm hunting on so um you know if i have a homeowner that's like man this First of all, every homeowner thinks they're a giant buck. So I'll, I'll often get texts of this giant buck is destroying my cherry tree or destroying my oak tree. And you go out there and it's like a yearling forkhorn um, just shredding a tree. I mean, if I need to harvest the deer to keep the clients happy, I will. But I mean, my main goal here is population control. So I'm mainly targeting does. I, I want to shoot as many does as possible. A lot of the bucks that we would all think of as real big trophy bucks, um, they're mostly nocturnal here in the suburbs. I, you, you don't see a ton of daytime movement of those big bucks. I think it's just their nature uh, more so than anything. But I, I don't really set out to just buck hunt. Um, if I'm in a spot, it's, it's primarily a spot that is there to, you know, pinch point or something near bedding or food, uh, to where I'm trying to shoot three or four or five plus does. So, um, you know, I am selective ish with the bucks that I choose to harvest, but that's because I mean, I'm running close to 50 trail cameras. I, I know the quality of deer that are out there. Uh, I have some other spots that are not urban hunting spots that are, you know, I have a 2,500 acre, uh, spot. That's about an hour from my house. I hunt with a couple buddies. It's been cutie may practice for years and years and years. And, you know, we have some monsters running around there. So, I mean, I try to save a buck tag for there. Um, you know, a couple spots nearby ish that have some bigger bucks on them. But, uh, for the most part, I mean, if I have to shoot a, a deer to keep a homeowner happy, I'm more than happy to do it. What what I see more of um, is having to – like I had a deer, I think this was like five years ago now, um, hunting one morning and it sounded like an Abrams tank is rolling through the woods. I mean just like tons of stuff breaking and just dragging. And uh, here comes this two-and-a-half-year-old eight-pointer. Um, who had gotten his antlers all caught up in some of those deer netting, the the anti-deer fence, and he had gotten his legs all caught up in it. He was having trouble walking. Um, now, that was not a trophy deer by any means, but as soon as he came into a – and presented a shot inside, you know, 20, 25 yards, I shot him because that thing was suffering and, and needed to be, uh, you know, put out of his misery. So, you know, I, I'm – I'm primarily focused on herd management um, and and I'm not specifically buck hunting, but uh, I will pass, you know, smaller bucks if, if they're around. When you're hunting, you said with your, with your buddies out on this bigger patch of land um, and in the film, there was uh, another one, I would assume one of your friends that 
was uh, talking about hunting the urban areas and, and things like that. What is the competition like? I mean, for you've got a thousand different properties. Is there, are there other guys now that are going and knocking on, I mean, are you running into other hunters? Like as you're pulling up, the bus goes by and there's two of you <laughs> slung in trees across the street from one another. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, people know, people know that there are a lot of deer around. Um, they're able to go in and, and knock on doors and ask for permission. Um, I had a lot of people reach out to me after the, uh, film came out and said like, Oh, you know, I live in the area and I'm always asking for permission. And everybody tells me somebody else is already hunting here. Like, is that you? Uh, I'm like, well, maybe <laughs> odds are pretty good, man. But I mean, you know, there, there are a lot of people that, uh, that bow hunt around here and, you know, they have permissions from people they know or friends of a friend or, or whatever. And, uh, a lot of the properties that I hunt, I do not have, exclusive access to there are other guys that hunt them um but they're just for whatever reason maybe not as dedicated they don't come as often you know a lot of guys only hunt i find maybe a half a dozen days a year and that tends to be from the end of october until you know about now uh and then they're gone so um you know do i have competition yeah there there are a lot of guys that are out hunting um and that's great. I mean, we need all the guys that we can get out in the woods around here. Um, well, we said woods, but in the backyards or <laughs> little pockets of woods. Um, you know, we need all the guys we can that are out uh, helping thin the thin the herd. I mean, the the biggest thing uh, for me is making sure those guys all uh, kind of keep up the same standards that I try to hold myself to, and that's. Um, really just trying to be a uh, positive representation of what a hunter should be. And, you know, I get a lot of people that tell me, you know, like, you're not what I expected. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? They're like, well, we just expected some like redneck drinking beers, shooting at everything, you know? And uh, I'm like, well, apparently I hide it well. <laughs> no, but, I mean, uh yeah, that's just what they expect when they hear a hunter and they don't expect like a, just a normal person that could, you know, hang out with them on a daily basis, uh, to be into hunting. And so I've had a lot of homeowners that I've hunted on their property be like, Hey, I, I want to sit in the tree with you and try that. Um, which is always kind of a nightmare for me because I hunt out of a saddle. So it's always, it, you know, all my trees are prepped for, for saddles. I'm a big guy. Um, I have, you know, an over two foot gate. So a lot of my steps are like 26, 28 inches apart. So to get somebody else up a tree that I have prepped for me, uh, it's not the easiest thing, but I mean, if they want to do it by all means, I'll, I'll throw a ladder stand up and put them in the tree and, and walk them through it. Um, I actually just recently had one of the homeowners whose property I hunt on uh, harvest the deer with a crossbow his first year ever while I was sitting over his shoulder coaching him. And, you know, I kept kept watching him try to squeeze the trigger. I'm like, no, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> like, Let it come. Come on. It just calm down. Um, but it's really fun to kind of pass the torch and watch people light that fire in themselves because, uh, you know, I know what it did to me when I harvested my first year and, uh, I, you kind of, it's fun to watch that, you know, transpire in, in other people as well. So that's awesome. Well, I guess take it, take us back to that. What is your hunting background? How did you go from, you know, I, I know the story from not really ever hunting to, to now sitting in a tree, you know, 200 days a year. Yeah. Now you can't get me out of the tree. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I don't come from a hunting family at all. I'm the only person in my family that hunts, um, I am one of four boys, uh, and my dad and brothers all love to, you know, bird hunt. So we did the traditional Virginian dove hunt. Uh, we do some upland hunting. You know, I have a bird dog that, that we do a lot of hunting with, but uh, none of them deer hunt. And so when I went to college, for whatever reason, I just had this, like, desire to want to deer hunt. And fortunately for me, I went to college in the middle of nowhere uh, out in the middle of Virginia, we were surrounded by farms and had, <clears throat> excuse me, nothing to do all day. So um, my golf coach had a farm and we had some access and I just started 
you know, going out with a couple buddies and just teaching myself how to deer hunt. So I remember my roommates thought I was crazy. Um, I could only get into a hunter education class that was, was like an hour and a half from our house in college. And he had to go, it was three days. It was like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And so I was skipping class to drive, you know, all this way to take this hunter education class just so I could get my hunter's license um, and then go out and go hunting. And so I basically cut my teeth uh, gun hunting on public land in Virginia with the Orange Army. And um, I would just stumble into the woods and try to find some deer. Uh, eventually I'd, I'd get on deer and then I'd figure out, you know, like, okay, why did that work or why didn't it work? And I mean, I'm really analytical and, and pretty anal kind of to a fault. And so what I would do is just constantly analyzing what I did and, and what could I do better? Or how could I be more efficient or like, where are the deer? Um, and, you know, I didn't really have anybody to turn to for that. So I just started reading any and every book or magazine article uh, that I could find on it and, um, watching hunting shows all the time, just constantly trying to learn and just be a sponge for any and all information um, involving whitetails. And so when I graduated from college, I still was, you know, pretty terrible whitetail hunter. I, I didn't know much. I just kind of would go uh, sit all day on Saturdays. It was the only days I could hunt. We couldn't hunt on Sundays in Virginia at the time. Uh, and so my family had some land that was about 45 minutes from me and I would drive there and I'd just sit all day Saturday, rain, shine, snow, whatever. Um, and I, you know, I was able to harvest a couple deer, but I picked up a bow and really fell in love with bow hunting and then started hunting a military installation that was closer to my house. Um, that was like a total eye opening experience. And around the same time I started hunting there. I started reading about how deer use topography and then I would start picking a spot on the topo map, you know, and then hiking back in two, three miles, uh, at this military installation. And, you know, I try to set up a spot and hunt and, uh, then figure out what happened or how it work and, you know, et cetera. And so it just kind of snowballed into constantly wanting to try and do better, um, you know, which led me here today. And I mean, I'm by no means my perfect. I, uh, you know, I, I still try to learn everything I can from every hunt. You know, uh, I have a notebook. Oh, I have tons of notebooks now, but just with scribble scrabble throughout them of, you know, different ideas or what worked, what didn't work. And, uh, I should spend more time going back through them and reading them. But, uh, every now and then I, you know, I crack them open and I'm like, Oh man, that was a great idea. You know, I, I need to do that or, you know, whatever. So with the books that you had, had read, which one do you think was the most influential or the best book, you know, the best had the best information for you? I mean, what I, what I'm finding with, with this, uh, podcasting journey and the type of people that we're, we're trying to talk to and kind of pick their brains. Um, and I think it's definitely made me a, a better hunter, but there's a lot of constants, a lot of themes that, you know, as, as far as the amount of scouting, the, the way that the, 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 I guess, positive attitude going in, you know, with that, with the idea of saying, well, I'm not just going to sit here. I'm going to hunt with a purpose, uh, things like that. Um, I'm sure that there's a lot of commonalities in those books, but I think, um, which one do you think has been the most influential on you? Yeah, there, there were, um, there were two books that really were like light bulb moments for me. Uh, one was mapping trophy bucks by Brad Herndon. Uh, and that is all about how deer use topography, uh, to, to survive, you know, deer are prey species. Uh, they are in certain places, because they have to be for survival. It gives them the best chance to survive, whether that be, you know, a third of the way down on the leeward side of a hill, walking in that thermal tunnel, you know, or how they use inside field corners, things like that. That for me was, was eye opening. I still have that book. Um, it's on the bookshelf in my office. I have it dog eared all over and I got all these post-it notes on it. And I, I go back to that a lot. 
Uh, I have lots of notes written down throughout the book. Uh, so that for me was really, really eye-opening because I would read about you know topo features, then I'd find them on the map at this military base, and then I'd go in there and, and scout around and try to figure out. And I mean, it was amazing to me because I'd find this spot on the book, I'd find it on a map, I'd go there, and then I'd walk around. And I'm like, there's a deer trail right where the book said there'd be. Like that's amazing. Um, and you know, finding pinch points and all that. So that was a, a really big thing. And then also um, the books by John Eberhart for me were just like amazing, you know, hunting destination spots, uh, how, how he hunts through a season. So he has a couple. He has um, bow hunting pressured whitetails, um, hunting the Eberhart way, and there's a third one. And I kind of consider all three of them as, as one. Um, but those for me were great. And so in that book, John talks about his tree saddle. I picked one up right away after reading that. One of my buddies uh, hunted from a saddle, and he showed it to me right about the time that I was reading the book. Bought one on eBay that night, and that changed the way I hunted forever. Uh, that that saddle just really allows you to climb any tree as opposed to the one tree that will work for your climber or whatever. And it's so light. I mean, you just wear it in. You can't feel it on you. and it's way safer uh, than hunting from a stand because you're constantly, you know, suspended, locked in, tied in. You can't fall. Uh, and being able to keep the tree between you and the deer, if you want to walk around the tree and from an want to, really comes in handy. So, kind of the I consider all of Eberhardt's books as one, but but the Mapping Trophy bucks and the Eberhardt books were really uh, just huge for me. So the saddles have kind of piqued John and I's interest, and it's one of the things that you've been you've used the old ones. And if I remember correctly, correctly, correct me if I'm wrong. You kind of helped with the mantis tethered kind of setup. What are the differences between the older style saddles and and kind of the the, the newer ones that are out now? Yeah, saddles have really come a long way. I mean, the when I first got into saddle hunting. Uh, with that Eberhardt book, the only option was the Trophy Line Tree Saddle. So this was like 2007, 2008. I bought the saddle. I had no clue that Trophy Line was out of business. So what I had ended up buying was a, you know, a, their last production run of saddles that was a leftover inventory that some dude was liquidating on eBay. Um, that saddle was, I found it to be tremendously uncomfortable. Uh, it, it had a fixed bridge length that was really short. It probably was only about a 10 inch bridge. Uh, the bridge is what goes, you know, from hip to hip that you clip into, uh, with your tether that goes around the tree. So you, you put a rope around the tree, then you clip into a main line, uh, and that's what keeps you suspended, you know, from falling. Um, so for gears, people didn't have any option other than to hunt from that saddle it was uncomfortable but it was the best of of whatever was there uh shortly after that or i guess 2000 i think it was like 13 14 uh new tribe which is a, a company out of i think they're in washington state um they make arborist saddles for people that are working in trees they realized that there was a market in the hunting industry because there was this niche of people that wanted these things and couldn't get them. So they made uh, a saddle. I actually have a super old one sitting right here under my feet. Um, it was not much better than than the trophy line. It had you know leg pieces. I mean, it was basically an arborist saddle that they put camo on uh, and tried to quiet down some. It was more comfortable than the than the trophy line, but not by much. Um, but then it started gaining traction. You started getting this evolution. Uh, the new tribe actually came out with a saddle called the evolution. And then the arrow hunter, I believe, uh, the Kestrel is the last one. So, um, the Kestrel was, was a good saddle. They, what they did was they finally went to more of a bucket cut to kind of hold your butt and it had a longer bridge. And what that does is that alleviates the hip pinch on your side. Uh, but it's, it was heavy, it was bulky, there's a lot of material there. The um, tethered 
that came tethered to a company that was started by a couple guys off of a web page called saddlehunter.com, which is all for saddle hunting. Um, and so Greg Godfrey and Ernie Powers, um, they're the two brainchilds behind Tethered. And what they wanted to do was they said, let's make the best saddle for saddle hunters by saddle hunters. And, and how do we do that? We want to make it the best. We don't care about how hard it is to get the material or, you know, how, however we can go about making the best saddle, regardless of what it costs us, not for profit, but for making the best product. Let's do that. And so they reached out to a handful of guys that were long-term, uh, long-time saddle hunting guys, of which I was fortunate to be one of, uh, and started sending us prototypes and working with us on, on you know, how can we make this better? And what was really cool was they would listen. And not only would they listen, they would, you know, their gears were always turning. And how can we make it better? Oh, okay, let's do that. And, um, you know, between the guys that are on the team that helped the you know, develop this saddle. We have over a hundred years of saddle hunting experience, which is pretty cool. Um, cause saddle hunting has not been around that long. Right. So to have that much experience is really pretty neat. So, um, the cool thing that Tether did other than the saddle, uh, was the predator platform. So before you really didn't have many options as a saddle hunter for what to do with your feet, you can hang from the tree. Okay. We got that covered. Well, what am I going to do with my feet? Uh, a mare step used to make plastic steps that were made for climbing up a tree, strap-on steps. Uh, but they got recalled back in the early 2000s, and then they stopped making them. And that was the number one choice for saddle hunters. So you get these guys that are buying steps that used to cost 2 bucks a pop for like $100 for a set of five because you just don't have anything to, to use under your feet. Um, so Tethered, Greg and Ernie – to set out and design a platform uh, for your feet to go on, which is really cool. Have you guys seen the platform? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, you're able to have this little mini tree stand that you can spin on. It still allows you to shoot 360 degrees, but it covets, you know, covers the entire bottom of your foot. Uh, so you don't have any hot spots on your arches or anything. So it's really pretty slick. And again, you know, being able to work with some prototypes and kind of mess around with it and, and put some cool stuff on there. I mean, Greg and Ernie did just an awesome job. Um, that tethered stuff is just cream of the crop. I, I absolutely love it. it. It's so comfortable. I mean, I've slept in mine um, before. I mean, get up in a tree like an hour before sunrise and just kind of put your hands in there and take a little cat nap. Um then you wake up at 11 and you're an hour late for work and <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on while the deer are laughing at you. I've had that happen before. <laughs> yeah, I swear. It's like they know when you're sleeping. <laughs> yeah, look at this clown up here in the tree. Yeah. Look at that big squirrel <laughs> snoring. <laughs> so outside of that, with the other equipment that you use, I mean, I've seen the other things that you've done. It kind of goes over it a little bit in the, the film that you did. But your system outside of just the saddle and everything seems extremely efficient, which I think that that's what the saddle hunter, you know, those guys, I mean, you, as far as being a saddle hunter are kind of, I would have to say a minority amongst saddle hunters because everyone that I've talked to and the biggest um, draws to that are, you know, these guys are walking in miles and miles to get everywhere and you're just trying to be you know you look like a regular guy walking in instead of having a whole tree stand and the whole setup and and everything um i guess take us kind of through your setup because it's it's pretty interesting with the totes in the back of your truck i mean it's like you can't even tell that there's that you're a hunter at all yeah i, I don't want to stick out as a hunter at all I mean, I don't have any hunting stickers on the back of my truck, um, you know, and, and I try to be as efficient as possible on everything that I'm doing. So during a hunt, if something happens that I could make more efficient, I'm going to figure out a way to do it. So whether that be from how can I get my stuff up in the tree easier or quieter or how can I climb the tree easier or quieter, how can I find the tree easier um, – you know, all the way down to how everything's organized in the back of my truck with 
you know, I have what we call the kill kit. So I have all my knives that are laid out. They're, um, you know, they're clean. They're ready to go. I got my gloves. I got big black trash bags for the entrails because uh, a lot of the properties I hunt on, I can't leave them there. Um, I have a big black jet sled that I keep under the tonneau cover in my truck so that what I can do is just throw the deer in there. I have an ATV ramp that I'll throw down, slide it up the ramp, get it in the truck bed, close the tonneau cover, and it's like nothing ever happened. Um, all of that comes from different, you know, run-ins with neighbors, anti-hunters, you know, uh, just trying to, to, to be out of sight, out of mind, as efficient as possible and, and minimize, you know, what I, what I have to do, uh, when I harvest the deer. So, and that transfers down into like where stuff is in my backpack, you know, every pocket has its own kind of thing there. Um, everything that I carry has a purpose. All of that relates back to efficiency or, uh, trying to, you know, recover game as quickly as possible and then remove it from the woods as, as cleanly as possible without leaving um, any traces behind. So, And that's coming after a lot of practice. I don't think you've really given us any numbers outside of sits per year. I mean, how many deer are you harvesting a year and even how many per sit occasionally? So I, I stopped shooting deer at four per sit. Um, I found that after four, the blood trails will start to kind of cross and then it's really kind of a nightmare, um, following them in the dark. So I, I do a lot of afternoon hunts. So when I'm following blood trails, it's in the evening. I try to do it with as dim of a light as possible because obviously it's very obvious if somebody's in your backyard with a flashlight. Um, so I try to be Again, as out of sight, out of mind as possible. It's not that what I'm doing – I mean I have permission to do what I'm doing. What I'm doing is completely legal. However, come January when all the leaves are off the trees, I might have eight houses looking into the floodplain that I'm hunting or ten houses looking into the floodplain that I'm hunting. Um, the, you know, the more people that are seeing what you're doing, the higher the chances are of you, know, you getting screamed at and – Trust me, I'm used to getting screamed at. It doesn't bother me, but I like to avoid it if I can. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I am fortunate that I get to harvest a lot of deer a year. Uh, anywhere from 30 to 60 deer, sometimes upwards of 75, 100 in a season, depending on um, you know how the crops are and just if we had a mild winter and deer rampant or, or more rampant than uh, usual or – I've actually found my higher number of years are when uh, we have a poor acorn crop because I have enough properties to where I can always find the oaks that are dropping and that pulls deer in from all over the place. Um, so this year, for example, was one of those years we had a uh, pretty poor acorn mast early on. Uh, and so if you were sitting over an oak bed, you, know, you were shooting three or four a sit pretty regularly so with that go over your like your bow setup i mean obviously you're shooting that many deer and you're you're trying to get them killed you know as quick quickly and as efficiently as possible what have you found you know to work the best for you i have definitely tried everything we're <laughs> <laughs> so, killing so. 30 40 50 60 deer like well those broadheads don't work very well you, you have a pretty good uh yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty from. good test dummy for those, uh, for all of those products. So, uh, I'm a Matthews shooter. Uh, love my Matthews bows. Um, I'm very anal about tuning my bows. So I do a lot of bear shaft tuning, uh, all the way back to about 20 yards to get, you know, perfect flight. Uh, I try to get everything as, as perfect as possible. Um, I'm shooting black Eagle arrows. I like a really heavy arrow. Again, I'm a pretty big dude. I'm, I'm six two. I have a 30 and a half inch draw length. So speed is not an issue for me. Right. Uh, so I'm shooting a 550 grain arrow. Um, it, it's 30 inches long. And in that arrow, I have 150 grains of brass in the front. Wow. So, um, it's right around like a 22% FOC. Um, I have been shooting 
I, I bounced back and forth between shooting the Rage Hypodermics and uh, or the Tripan, I guess is the newer one, uh, and also some fixed blade mechanicals. I find that the Slick Tricks are really hard to beat. The Slick Trick Magnums, um, I definitely uh, have shot a lot of deer with those. That the Slick Trick Mag leaves a huge hole, um, but it's hard to beat that that Rage Hypodermic. So uh, if I'm hunting on a really tight property, I'll shoot an expandable head. I actually prefer a fixed blade head because I find that with my setup, there's nothing that fixed blade can hit that that can stop it. Um, however, when I'm on a really tight property, it is very helpful to have that extra cutting size of a big expandable. And I, I'm very picky about the shots that I take. I will not take a shot, you know, over 20 yards. I'd say about 95% of the deer I harvest are between 12 and 14 yard shots. Um, and I will not take a shot unless it's a perfect 12 ring, you know, slightly quartering away or dead broadside shot because I can't risk having that deer run an additional 50 yards or 75 yards because now that's two, three, four more homeowners whose doors I have to knock on and inevitably, you know, somebody's going to be opposed to what I'm doing and now we have a problem and, you know. I can imagine. Where you at? Do you get much snow there? We we get uh, some periods of snow and it wouldn't it's never <laughs> that would good. be scary uh, to hunt that. Then. <laughs> yeah, well, when we I've had a handful of times where uh, I've left pretty gnarly blood trails, you know, in the snow, and then I'm there for a couple hours kicking snow on top of it, trying <laughs> to cover it up because you know you're just trying to to be as discreet as possible. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Actually, I keep uh, in the summertime when I'm hunting, I keep a big cooler in the back of my truck uh, to put the carcasses in as soon as I get them. And I'll keep a couple of frozen water bottles back there to put inside the carcass. But I keep a couple giant gallons of water that are unfrozen, and that's all for cleaning up blood trails. I had uh, a hunt one afternoon where one of the deer I shot ran right through the homeowner's playground for their kid and it ran over you know those little uh, like fisher price cars this deer went over about three of them and just sprayed blood everywhere and so i was out there for a couple hours with with water you know trying to get it off the the kid's playground set but i mean with that said what is the what is the craziest thing that's happened with one of your hunts in the city limits like that man um I mean, what I take is normal. You guys would probably think it's crazy. <laughs> you know, I mean, I get the cops called on me a lot, um, which always kind of blows my mind. Uh, I mean, the homeowners know who I am. They they know that I'm on somebody's property, but I think inevitably they enjoy calling the police. So I had one lady that called the cops on me like three or four times. Eventually, I had to get the police officer that responded to go talk to her and let her know that. You know, everything I was doing was was fine. Um, I guess the weirdest thing that I've ever found. So uh, one morning, uh, see, a lot of the spots that I hunt are the areas that you can't develop houses in, right? Because our area, I mean, we're right outside the city. If you can build a house there, the house is going to be there, right? So what, what that leaves me are a lot of floodplains, creek bottoms, areas that are marshy for example that are undevelopable well those create deer highways and if you look at a city from an aerial view like a satellite view and start looking at all all those connecting those are your deer trails and so if you find the pinch points along there that are close to big thick areas those are going to be your bedding spots right well (laughs) i found early on that those areas and floodplains are also where a lot of the high school kids end up liking to go to party all night long right (laughs) because it's it's unoccupied land for the most part. So I had a spot that was a really good spot. Um, I, I was hadn't hunted it a lot and go in there kind of late October. I climb up in my tree. It's early morning. It's like Saturday morning. Uh, and I'm hearing this weird noise coming from about 30 yards from the tree that I'm in. And the sun comes up and it's like Brad the frat boy passed out about 30 yards from my tree 
you know, with with drawings all over his face from his buddies from the night before. So I guess they'd been in there drinking beers and he passed out. Um, I actually shot a deer that hunt. So that was pretty cool. He was sleeping uh, and was able to harvest a doe who came in looking at him, trying to figure out what he was. It's whatever the deer are used to, right? So it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the deer, the deer are, are you know, I, I get this a lot where people are like, oh, well, let me know when you're coming. We'll keep the dog inside. We won't go outside. It's like, it doesn't matter. The deer know that you're not a danger to them. You That's can go normal. outside and scream at them. They're not going to care. For as many deer as you've harvested in your life, I don't think that we're probably ever going to talk to someone who's killed as many deer, you know, with a bow in even such a short amount of a time span. So one of the things that I've found is if you haven't, for me, and I don't think you probably run into it, but it's like for me, if I haven't killed a deer in a year or two, I, I seem to just like fuck it up every time I get the first opportunity. I mean, this year I, last year I missed a whole bunch of times. It was just awful. This year, first deer that came in and shot right over the top of his back. And it's like, I killed the first one. Then the second one, it was just like, I fell right back into it. Old hat, you know, like, like no big deal. What would you tell people for like the novice hunter? What What are the things that allow you to get that, that process down? Cause it's keeping yeah, it on great, track. Great question. So, um, I find it's really important to have like the fundamentals to go on. Right. And if you look at any, anything, whether it be like professional sports or, you know, like mixed martial arts or anything, you have these like base fundamentals that you should always be able to rely back on. And so you, everyone should build that into their, to their shooting form. So it's like, you know, learn how to execute a proper shot and not slap at a trigger or, or force a shot, right? Um, and then just really having that patience when a deer is within a killing range to wait for the perfect shot opportunity or the right shot opportunity. For me, I say the same thing every time. So when a deer is coming in, I keep telling myself, stay calm, pick a spot. Stay calm, pick a spot. I'm just repeating that in my mind and I'm just – I'm focused exactly where I want that arrow to go. And then when I draw my bow and come to anchor, I'm just saying stay calm, pick a spot, stay calm, pick a spot because I know my routine is pick a spot. Then I say paint it, which is like put the pen on the spot and then keep it painted while you pull, 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 pull. And I'm just saying that in my head, pull, 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 pull and then the shot breaks and it goes off but what i find a lot of people do is when you get that adrenaline dump of okay i've been sitting here for five days five weeks five months whatever finally there's a deer in front of me that's my target i'm killing it and when you make that decision some people fall apart and it's because i mean that's why we're doing it. the reason we're doing it is because you get that feeling and that that adrenal Adrenaline just dump. But for me, it's even better to know that I controlled that adrenaline dump. And I mean, I've killed more deer than I could count. And I, I still get that feeling every time I harvest a deer. I mean, I don't take it lightly. You know, you're taking an animal's life. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that it's as quick and perfect as possible. And I'm as proficient as I can be. Um, and not only to avoid the possible issues of, of where that deer might expire, but it, that's my challenge with myself, right? It's not only the chess game of playing that we're playing with the deer, but, but also, you know, I want to control myself when I'm getting that adrenaline dump and make sure I do everything right. And it's hard. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, like you're saying, like, occasionally you, you fuck it up and, and you <laughs> fling one over their back or you stick one in the shoulder. And then as soon as the bow goes off, you're like, why'd I do that? Right. Everything's what, out the window. What the yeah, hell was that? Why, why'd I do that? You know? And, and you're sitting there going like, what am I like retarded? I mean, like, I can't believe that, but it's, it's because you get that adrenaline dump and you're just like, Oh, that'll work. Boom. You know? And then you're like, 
why did I try that? I waited, so, I mean, yeah, I waited I, all I, year I, for this one opportunity. Yeah, just blew it. Yeah, just sit here freezing my ass off. <laughs> but so, no, so I mean, when I'm when I'm practicing, I'm repeating those those uh, steps in my mind. Right, I'm saying that to myself. I pick a spot, paint it, pull, 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 and then I you know shoot. And I shoot a lot here at my house. I have an archery range set up. So I mean, when I'm like grilling out in the summer, I'm flinging arrows. Uh, and I'm, I, I will not shoot an arrow if I don't say that kind of in my mind. And the idea is to let it become second nature or subconscious when the, when the deer is in front of you. So that, um, uh, you said you didn't grow up archery hunting. Where did you learn? Did you hire a coach or, you know, or just from reading or self-taught? I've, I've relied a lot on like John Dudley on his, you know, teachings, you know, for the pick a spot, you know, go through your shot process pull through, pull through. So obviously you have a, you know, a good routine. I was just wondering where you, how you come about it. Yeah. So, um, when I first got out of college and was working, um, or not was working, obviously I'm still working, but when I was at work, I was always on archerytalk.com and I was just reading everything I could find. Uh, that led to, you know, all these different articles and learning and trial and error learning. And then, um, it's kind of funny you mentioned, uh, knock on, but Dudley, you know, his YouTube channel is just phenomenal and, and a couple other YouTube channels and just kind of watching it, trying to figure out, you know, what shot execution works for me. And, you know, uh, so I have a, a background in golf. I, I play a lot of golf. Uh, I played golf in college, so I still play golf at a pretty high level. And, um, you know, golf is a very simple game, right? But it, I could tell you how I hit a golf ball and it might not make a lick of sense to you because the way that I explain what I'm thinking my muscles and body are doing could be, could make all the sense in the world to you or make zero sense in the world. Right. And the key is, is finding words that relate to actions in your, in your body, right? Mm-hmm. So like if I'm telling you pull, 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 and you're like that, doesn't work, you know, or, or whatever. And some people, they like to, you know, feel their hand roll over or, or whatever kind of shot execution, uh, for archery. You know, it's all about finding something relatable. And, and for me, I was fortunate that, you know, the way Dudley teaches it is, is very similar to the way that I understand things or learn things. Uh, so I just was a sponge for watching every video known to man on YouTube that he put out. Yep, me too. I still do, and, and listen to a lot of podcasts. I mean, I'm I'm not an expert by any means. You know, I'm I'm fortunate that I had the situation that I'm in, and I've been able to capitalize on the opportunities that I have. But I mean, I, I'm still learning. I, I try to learn every time I, you know, draw a bow or or you know, climb a tree um, to be as as perfect as possible. And I don't think it, it's not possible. I don't want to kill a deer every time I climb a tree. I think that it's not going to be fun at that point. Um, you know, a lot of people think that urban hunting is easy. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, they must be everywhere. You just go <laughs> sit there and kill as many as you want. I mean, yeah, man, the, the deer, they're not dumb. They want to live. You right. know, they're a prey species and, and they don't like getting stuck in the side with a sharp stick by the 240 pound <laughs> squirrel in the tree. So, you know, they're going to do everything they can to to avoid that happening. And. Um, you know, that's what they, that, that's what to me is fun is kind of that chess game back and forth of figuring out where the deer are and then how to get on them. Now with that, when you, uh, obviously you kill, you know, a ton of deer, you can't eat all those deer. So for the, you know, the people listening, you know, what do you do with your deer? So we have a program in Virginia where we're able to donate our deer, uh, to the homeless shelters and the less fortunate so food banks. Um, it's the perfect thing in the world for me because I'm able to donate, you know, all those deer to help out people in need. Um, I also work in construction. So my superintendent, uh, he's from El Salvador and he lives in a El Salvadorian community. that's um, about 45 minutes south of my house. I'm able to donate a lot of deer to him he grew up butchering animals on his family farm. Uh, so he'll take the full deer, take it back to their community. Everybody gets some of the meat. 
and they they love it. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, it's really nice to be able to to take the deer that I'm harvesting and use it for for good, uh, as well as I mean, my wife and I we live off of it. So um, you know, we we live off of the venison and the the upland birds and the turkey and, and fish. So um, there's no better cooler way to get organic protein right. uh, in your body than yeah. You know, plus, it kind of helps to ease it a little bit when I'm getting up at four thirty every morning to slap. Out and she's on baby duty. <laughs> so that one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, and I I, I didn't send you ahead of time, um, and I think it kind of goes into what you just said about um, maybe your your superintendent there. But outside of just backstraps, with as much venison as you've got, what is one of your favorite uh, recipes outside of chili burger backstraps? And then I guess with the superintendent, has he given you any of his cultural dishes uh to do with venison that's that's you know you've come to enjoy yeah uh so i i'm i love all different types of food obviously i'm big boy but um so my favorite thing to do is actually make kind of venison lollipops uh so like a rack of lamb well i'll make a rack of venison so i'll take the the spinal column lop it off clean the ribs off saw them down and then uh, cook them on the Traeger and, and, you know, then cut them thin into those little medallions and serve them. Uh, I like to do that a lot when I have company over that, that doesn't like venison. Uh, they inevitably think that it is lamb and then we kind of get to discussing it and they realize after they see how delicious it is that that's, you know, that's deer and deer is yummy. <laughs> um, my superintendent, a couple years ago, I had the flu, and I was feeling like shit, uh, worse than shit. And um, we were talking one morning. He's like, you got to try the soup my wife makes. I'm like, dude, I'll try anything. You know, I, I, I felt like gum on the bottom of your shoe, but worse, right? And um, he brought me this bone stew that his wife makes out of the carcasses. She takes the, the bone broth and just melts it down and it was phenomenal. And I felt amazing the next day. Could have been total luck, but he swore by it. Um, and it's like a traditional, however they made it, it was this traditional way. Um, but it was really good. And and I have him make me a lot of that uh, throughout the winter now. It freeze a bunch of it up. So, And then I got him. He had never had any uh, like crockpot type meals, so like, like venison pot roast. Um, and they'll come over occasionally. I try to cook out with our guys and, and you know, uh, just hang out with them. And we, we do a lot of venison tacos. So we'll take the sirloin, um, get it on like a really hot skillet. Uh, sometimes we'll do like a reverse sear or we'll smoke it for a while and then put it on a skillet, just crust it up real good, uh, then slice it thin and make some tacos. So I love it. I love cooking. Um, I like experimenting with new things and, and, if it's red meat, it's always venison in our house. So we keep keep a lot of deer in the freezer as well. well I think that's kind of everything we had uh, for this evening. What other uh, things do you have going on, and where can people kind of follow along with uh, everything that you're doing throughout the year? Yeah, Instagram. Um, my Instagram uh, handle is Urban Bowman, and uh, we also have kind of uh, – following me and, and a couple of my buddies on hunt urban and uh pretty soon you're going to see some more content popping up on youtube of uh you know video shorts of hunts and uh just kind of what it's like to hunt year round in the suburbs so should be pretty cool yeah well thanks i mean we really appreciate it it was great great talking to you know like i said i don't think you're going to get to hear from anybody that kills more deer than this guy so yeah, absolutely you know, uh, yeah if you just want to hold on here we'll just kind of wrap this up and i think that's pretty much everything we got for tonight sounds good thanks for having me on guys appreciate it no problem
Shut up and sit down.